If you have a Christian who says, look at the trees, and you have a Muslim who says, look at the trees, and you have a Hindu who says, look at the trees, how are we to tell which one of their gods is real based off of them looking at trees? What's up, guys? It's your boy, Jordan. With me, as always, is Jared. Today, since we're coming close to the holidays, we thought we might kind of do a little bit of role-playing and talk about some topics that might come up. If you're an atheist or a skeptic, chances are most of your family, if you're in America, are religious. And though it's probably a good idea not to talk about politics, no matter how happy you are right now about that, or religion uh, during Thanksgiving and Christmas. Sometimes it comes up anyway. So um, we thought we might kind of just go over some things you are likely to hear around the dinner table or in the living room afterwards. Uh, This is intended to be a a guide to talking to your family, not William Lane Craig, you know? So this is kind of like a layman's view. There are entire libraries full of apologetics and people who spend their entire lives doing nothing but talking about these subjects, but you're not going to be talking to those people. And chances are the people you're going to be talking about haven't talked to them either. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't have to be an atheist too. I was going to say to actually know what these topics are and know what the talking points are. Like maybe you're questioning, maybe you're just now started just now starting to doubt and it's good to know what what an atheist thinks or you know talks about with this stuff. That's that's a good point. It's it's not this isn't solely for atheists. If you're a Christian, this might kind of inform the, the conversations you might be planning on having with uh, your relatives and kind of give you a, a sneak preview as to what right. the other side sort of thinks. Both Jared and I live in America, and we're both former Christians, um, so we're coming at this from a Christian perspective. Um, or a Christian culture Mm -hmm. perspective. So we're mainly going to be framing this in terms of Christianity, but several of these problems are problems regardless of what flavor of theism you have. So um, if you come from a Hindu or Muslim family, you can probably find something useful here too. They apply to to most religions, except for like really specific claims about Jesus or... (laughs) Right. Um, Before we dive into it though, I was going to do an impromptu word of the day here. And so uh, this episode is brought to you by the ad hominem. Um, mm, that's a good one for, especially for this topic. <laughs> yes, because you may find somebody trying to do some ad hominems on your ass when you're having a conversation <laughs> with them. You, you just want to sit. Yeah. <laughs> so the ad hominem uh, is basically you're poisoning the well, um, sort of speak. And you can expand on that if you want, Jordan. Like Ad hominem means to the man. Yeah. So if someone makes an argument, rather than addressing the argument, you just talk about how shitty a person is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're, you're attacking them or... Um, you're attacking their character in a way that is not relevant to the argument. Right. So if I said, well, you know, I don't think that prayer is effective, they say, well, of course you don't think that because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Exactly. Like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, that would be an ad hominem. Yeah. It's not a good thing to do. Um, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, ideas should be taken on their own merit, not based on who said them. And if someone does it to you, especially if it's your family, that's probably a good time to take a time out 
Yeah. You know. And the reason I brought that one up today was because we want to have some groundwork set before we go into having a conversation with somebody. You know, first and foremost, Jordan and I are always talking about this, but don't be a butthead. Don't get combative with somebody. Like, especially if you're trying to win them over or convince them of an argument, you're never going to be able to do that by, by being combative or being mean. And the way that you can make sure you're doing that with your conversation is to implement what's called active listening. So repeating back to your, your person you're having a conversation with, uh, I want to be sure I heard you correctly. Did, did you say blah, blah, blah? Did I hear you right? Give them a chance to make sure that they know you're listening to them and that you're understanding them, representing them properly. And utilizing the Socratic method, which is basically asking questions rather than making statements, it's good to, as a persuasive technique, because people tend to be more engaged if you're kind of thinking with them. And it's also good because maybe you didn't understand them. Yeah, it's definitely a good way to make sure that you understand their their question. So you're not addressing something that they don't represent. So Right. And at the end of the day, especially since the the conceit of this podcast today is you're talking with family or friends or people you care about or at least tolerate uh <laughs> for the time being <laughs> are, forced, are forced to tolerate maybe um the, the goal of this shouldn't be to show them how stupid they are or to club them over the head with your logic the goal should be to come to a better deeper understanding of where you're coming from maybe someone will change their mind maybe they won't but either way hopefully you'll come away stronger for the experience and you never know uh, when one of these conversations, you know, like Christians always talk about planting seeds and like one day they'll come back and you'll reap that seed, you know, well, atheists plant seeds too. And those seeds are called doubt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know personally, I've had hundreds of these conversations with people, with fellow Christians when I was a Christian or atheist, you know, when I was doubting, like they all meant something to me. And while I may not have been convinced in that moment later on, I thought about back to those conversations and realized, you know, oh yeah, that's right. Jordan did say that. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so the first two things we're going to talk about are kind of positive cases or things that you, as the non-believer or skeptic, or your family who's a skeptic, will bring to the theist. Yeah, maybe you're sitting around the table and they go, "Hey, uh, Jared, so somebody told me that you don't believe in God anymore. Like, why, why not? not?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked." Let me tell you why. One of the most common things that both theists and non-theists struggle with when it comes to a divinity is called the problem of evil or the problem of suffering. Mm. And basically, it's an observation that stuff's really bad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe it shouldn't be so bad. And, you know, the, the atheist or the skeptical side of that would be like, well, if things are so bad and your God is real, why doesn't he fix right. it? Why doesn't he cause things yeah. to not be so bad? I think uh, Bart Ehrman put that sentiment best when he said, if God intervenes, why doesn't he intervene? Yeah. <laughs> I think, and this isn't a new thing by any means. Epicurus, who was uh, one of the OG, he wasn't an atheist that didn't really exist in his day, but if he was alive today, I'm pretty sure he'd be an yeah, atheist. Definitely. <laughs> He, uh, he was a Greek philosopher, and he put it this way, uh, as quoted by David Hume. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent. If he is able but not willing, then he's malevolent. If he's both able and willing, then when, from whence cometh evil? If he's neither able nor willing, why call him God? Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, yeah. you know, some of my earlier conversations I've had with Christians and stuff, like I, I'll bring this up, but I 
rephrase it a little bit. I'm like, you know, especially if somebody that I'm talking with has a family, has any children, and I, you can relate if you have children or, you know, loved ones that you care about. And if something bad were to happen to one of them, there's nothing that you wouldn't do to prevent them from suffering. Um, and this will get into one of the other arguments later, but just the fact that I would do anything to stop my child from suffering, am I better and more loving than the supposed God? It's a, it's a common thing. Right. The, the difference, the more flippant version is the difference between me and Jesus is if that I could cure cancer, I yeah. did. <laughs> but uh, don't say that. Uh, in, in <laughs> don't say that because that's kind that's, yeah, don't, that's, that's in jest. Anyways, so this problem is such a big issue. It's a recognized issue. It has its own name um, in theistic philosophy circles. If you have an answer to the problem of suf- suffering, it's called a theodicy. Uh, which is a fancy word that basically just an explanation for why there's evil. Because we all agree there definitely is. Um, So the real question is why. Some of the common ones you might hear is free will. So there's evil because God created us not to be robots, but to be thinking, feeling beings that could make decisions. And um, some of the times those decisions are bad. Mm -hmm. We make poor decisions and that causes suffering. And it's terrible, but that's the price we pay for having yeah there's several problems with this line of thinking though and uh one of the talking points is to bring up that i like to talk about a lot is the fact that heaven exists in most christians theology and if heaven exists and people go there or people are there wherever it may be those people apparently still have free will and yet it's a place without sin so god is capable of creating a place where people have free will and there is no sin so why not just cut out the middleman and let's do heaven here on earth, like the the gospel says? You know, like hey, we just just come right to yeah. the end. We come right to the good part. Another thing is that God, the Christian God, the triomni God, the God who's all loving, all powerful, um, and all knowing. Yeah. So the, knows ahead of before you do that, the the omnis, you know, omnipresent, omnibenevolent, and um, omni omnipotent. omnipotent. Yeah. Yeah. So God knows ahead of time. Who's going to commit what sins, in what circumstances? He knows everything. Nothing's a surprise to him. And he knew that prior to creating the universe. So he could have easily, because he's omnipotent, created a universe full of only beings that would have chosen not to sin, if that's what he wanted to do. Or at least chosen maybe less less bad sins. You know, right. maybe, maybe Hitler wasn't necessary, yeah. you know. But I think the biggest problem with this line of thought is the fact that Free will specifically applies to humans in our actions. So there's this whole other category of suffering and evil, whatever you want to call it, that is not caused by humans. I don't know, think like a typhoon that takes out half of Taiwan or an earthquake, you know, any kind of natural thing, like maybe, I don't know, coronavirus. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) Uh, cancer, famine, disease, just aren't in the whole history of the world is just one long string of misery. Now, granted, it's been slowly getting better, but you can't chalk up an earthquake to human uh, failings, right. basically. I mean, and, and that has to do with the fact that this theodicy doesn't address that aspect of free will. So, right. So, at best, the free will theodicy is a partial mm. explanation. You have to go to something else. Yeah. So, speaking of something else, mm. uh, another one you might hear is that, well, it doesn't matter. Because when we die, if you believed, you're going to go to heaven. And, like, you're going to be in heaven forever. Like, forever and ever. Forever So, ever, the ever? amount of time. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For real, for real. And so the amount of time that you suffered on Earth, it's so tiny compared to infinity, yeah. you know? So it doesn't even matter. Why, bo- why worry about it? Well, there's a couple of things that I would bring up is like, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, first of all. And so like, <laughs> well, I'm, if there is a heaven, I'm pretty sure I'm not going. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can be assured of that too, <laughs> but who knows? May, maybe once saved, always saved. Maybe I, I already cashed that check. Yeah, you know? That's true. So, that's true. Uh, I'm in the book. Can't take me out, bro. St. <laughs> Peter's up there uh, trying to erase it right now. <laughs> yeah. But more than that though, even if you're going to be better off in the future, like even if you're going to have a future bliss, that doesn't mean that you're suffering today isn't real right and it doesn't equate it either so like if i stub my toe earlier tonight like yeah in the span of my lifetime one stub toe not a big deal but it sure as hell hurts when you stub your toe (laughs) it still hurts you know uh if it if you lose a child here and now that pain is very real and it's not necessary so or at least that's that's the argument is it's not necessary so and um this kind of gets into one of the the ones coming up, but heaven is also used as like a justification, like for like, well, everything will be made right in heaven. So all of the wrongs now are going to be justified or be made right later on. I mean, yeah, but we could also just like make it right now. Yeah. Like, maybe, ma- why, maybe why made wait? it so that we never had to make it right to begin with. I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't know. Uh, just spitballing here. <laughs> right. Uh, another one you might hear is the devil did it. Mm. You know, devil, Satan made me do it. Uh, you got this, this, this evil angel who's working on earth Mm -hmm. and man, boy, God would sure love to have a great place, but gosh, darn it. Satan just keeps messing it up. This is a, one of my favorites and I've actually had a a Thanksgiving, maybe it was Christmas, might've been Christmas. Anyways, it was a holiday and we were sitting around a dinner table and I had this conversation with some family members and I, I kindly asked them to show me in the Bible where this Satan was because I knew that it wasn't actually in there, <laughs> but they weren't able to do it. There's a couple of verses in the King James, particularly that's translated as Satan, but it's, it's really referred to as the adversary. But this character of Satan that most Christians think is like out in the world, like conniving and, you know, whispering in people's ears, getting them to do bad things doesn't actually exist in the canonical Bible as we have it. It's tradition that came up later. Right. But even if you accept these figures in the Bible that they say are Satan, Mm -hmm. even if you just buy that, the idea that Satan is behind all suffering is not supported by even the Bible. First, all you have to do is look at that poor guy, Job. That guy, all he was doing was minding his own business, worshiping God, being a good Jew at the time, because Christ hadn't come yet. And Satan was like, hey, hey, God, I bet if you screw with that guy's life, He'll leave you. And God said, oh, yeah. And then he proceeds to make Job's life horrible. Yeah. Like some of the worst horrible. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. It, it'd be worse uh, than like Game of Thrones. Like, <laughs> bro, it is terrible. And Satan didn't, unless you think that Satan can trick God, which would have all kinds of problems on its mm-hmm. own. Uh, Satan didn't cause that. God caused that. So clearly not all suffering comes from God or it comes from Satan. rather. Yeah. And if God is omnipotent, isn't anything that Satan does by like God could stop any of it. So um, that doesn't really, yeah, it, it totally goes back to the all powerful. Like if it is Satan, God could just stop him just like he could stop right. me or you or any other person from doing something. Right. And you could tie that to free will, but we've already talked yeah. about that. Yeah. So the next one is called educative theodicy, but basically it's the idea that 
uh, suffering can be good. Like not all suffering is bad. So if you go to the gym or you work out, you get pain, you you suffer, but it's for a higher you purpose. Get your swole you know, on. Yeah, you get your swole on, you know. Or maybe uh, you're up late studying and that really sucks, but later you get the job you wanted or whatever. Right. So suffering can be well, good. Well, there's even pain, pain. Like, you know, for a child to reach up and try to grab the stove, like they may burn their hand, but they learn not to grab the stove anymore, right? Which is good That's for good them. That's good for them. Yeah. So, right. And so, in a sense, that this could explain some level of suffering. Um, though you could argue if you didn't have the possibility of getting burned, then you wouldn't need to know not to get burned. But even if this is okay, though, wouldn't it make a lot more sense if you were an ultimately good being? Like, maybe we could just have like a little bit of suffering, just like the minimum amount. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like, this doesn't really apply to something like cancer, for say, this is something that. You, you, this logic doesn't make sense to me in terms of like big life things. Like my yeah. wife and kids died in a car crash, like Joe Biden, like, Oh, you could say, Oh, but yeah, he learned to overcome that. And now he's the president. Well, that still fucking sucks. Like, yeah. Could he possibly have learned some strength without his wife and child dying horrifically, yeah. you know, or like little Timmy gets leukemia. What is little Timmy learning from exactly. that? That life blows. He's dead. Like, he doesn't learn shit. <laughs> he doesn't learn anything. Yeah. yeah. So, it, it, it kind of on a very surface la- level makes sense because most of the suffering that we experience from day to day is minor stuff that isn't in the grand scheme of things that big a deal. But it falls flat when you look at the just just the magnitude of awfulness that happens mm-hmm. um, to people. The next one up is the the mystery. Like so, you've heard this said: God works in mysterious ways. Like you don't know what yeah, God's bro. up to, man. It, it may seem awful, but we live in the best possible world, even if you can't see yep. it. Like, we can only see this little bit, but God, he's t- he's making sure everything's working There's, out. He's, he's the master puppeteer up there pulling all the strings, and you don't know that when you pull this string here, it moves a string and a cog and a wheel, and next thing you know, boom, cancer's cured, 2020-20. That's a long ways right. away, by the way. The idea is that the universe is very complicated, and even though... Your broken arm may seem like a terrible thing. You broke your arm, but in every other universe, you, I don't know, broke both legs or something. Uh, This one kind of ties into the educative theodicy a little bit. And they're often combined them. A Christian will say very much the same argument. So, Right. But ultimately, uh, technically, I mean, it's impossible to refute. Like, I lack the knowledge to say that that's not true. Right? Which is why... Um, some philosophers like Mackey, who's a prominent atheist philosopher, uh, he's conceded that the logical problem of evil is solved. Like he cannot logically say for certain that we are not in a minimally evil universe. But boy, does it not look like right. that. <laughs> yeah. Like at that point, you have to say that every single child who got cancer, they were every single one was necessary. There couldn't have been one more cured cancer, not one. Yeah. It it just. It just doesn't, I can't say for certain that it's false, but man, it just does not look that Mm -hmm. way. Which kind of goes into this next one that, and this is one of the probably least common and least favored theodicies out there because it's admitting that God isn't all good, all powerful, or all knowing. Right. Uh, If you just drop those requirements, the problem of evil goes away. The problem of evil or the problem of suffering is only a problem for a God who is all-powerful so he could stop it, all-knowing so he knows how to, and all-good so he would want to. If you drop any of those, if he's just kind of a jerk, 
then that's fine. Like it's cons- it's consistent. Yeah. If he like, boy, would he want to, but he just do- he just doesn't have it, you know. Or man, he tries his best, but he just doesn't. He makes mistakes sometimes. Yeah. And that that god is more a god of deism. It's definitely not the classical god of Christianity or Islam or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if someone wants to concede that, I'd be happy to take that. But at that point, we're not talking about a traditional theistic god from the major like Abrahamic right. religions. There, there is one more possibility, though. Well, there's probably a lot more, but one more that we're going to talk about today, and that is a secular answer. And that's that suffering happens because this world just sucks sometimes. And shit happens, and it would be nice if it didn't, but sometimes it doesn't. And so it's up to us to try to make it better. It's up to us to try to learn from our mistakes and improve. And we're doing that. Uh, Sometimes we're not doing it at a pace that's fast enough sometimes, but we are improving. So, yeah, it, the secular answer is everything looks like there's nobody in charge because there's nobody in charge, (laughs) which makes more sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, Segway. (laughs) Speaking of, yes. Speaking of nobody being in charge, uh, the next thing we're going to talk about is divine hiddenness. So both these first two are kind of reasons if someone was like, why don't you believe? Yeah. The next one uh, that's kind of the proactive case is called divine hiddenness, or basically it doesn't look like there's a God. Hmm. Specifically, the Christian God is said to want to have a personal relationship with all of his creation, right? He he wants to be our divine daddy and, you know, have it. Uh, some people say that Christianity isn't religion, it's a relationship, you yeah. know? I, I have a so, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I thought I did too. The problem here is uh, that there are definitely people in the world who do not have that personal relationship. God knows who each and every one of them are. He knows what they're thinking and he knows what he would need to do to convince them. Right. If they are a person who would believe and worship God, if he they knew he existed, but they just haven't, been convinced yet or whatever he knows exactly what would convince each and every one of them and the the reason they call it hiddenness is because god could just reveal himself to them to the point where they would have to believe or 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 to the point where to because of his omniscience because he knows everything uh he would know in what way to approach them such Such that that they would believe they would believe not forcing them but just knowing if i come down in a fiery bush john will believe that it's me or but Smith, if I come down in the form of his grandfather, whatever, like whoever, you know, he could tailor an experience for each and every person and ensure that everyone who's willing to have a relationship has one. Yeah. And so if you're on the fence and you're like, okay, I want to believe and God hasn't revealed himself to me or I'm not convinced that he's real, then what do you do there? Like you want to believe, but he didn't, he didn't reveal himself. Right. Some flavors of Christianity and other religions answer this basically by saying that God doesn't want to have a relationship with everyone. Mm. Calvinism. If you're a Calvinist. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a Calvinist, some people are born to be uh, damned and that seems pretty awful, but I mean, that is one answer. You're not one of the elect or, uh, <laughs> so was it uh, Jehovah's witnesses? Like there's like only 250,000 people are going to make it. Sure. Are a yeah, lot more not, Jehovah's witnesses than <laughs> not even them are going oh, to yeah. make it. Or uh, something, an, another one that's been hit to me is that God does approach each and every person who wants to have a relationship with him. So he, he hasn't approached you, and he doesn't in the future. You know, there's always the future possibility. But assuming he doesn't, that is evidence that you 
did not want to have a relationship with him. <clears throat> Ad hominem. Right. So, and this is a little bit arrogant because if I tell them, I, I'm the only one who knows my thoughts, mm-hmm. right? I'm telling you as the, the skeptic to the believer that I would believe in God if I had sufficient evidence. I just don't. You know, and if someone else is saying I would be willing to worship God, I just don't know that He exists. You have to believe that each and every skeptic or each and every secular person who says that is lying. Yeah, this one, every single yeah, one. This one's personal to me because I spent months, like six months, fasting—not like fasting for six months—but I went through periods of fasting. I went through periods of prayer. I went through periods of devotion, asking God to reveal Himself to me when I was going through my doubt at the end of seminary. And I know we've talked about this before. But it gets back to that divine hiddenness. Like this is one of the main reasons why I ended up stopped believing. Like there's no way I can prove to you that I'm being sincere when I say that I just need evidence. I, I can't prove to you that that's the case. But it seems I don't know. It seems like a big leap to think that all these billions of people, each and every single one of them, is a liar. Yeah. And it, it, you have a little bit of an advantage if you're talking to one of your family who knows that you're a decent person. Correct. Or knows you, know. you when you were a devout Christian, like right, um, and so th- this I think that might hit home there because they know that you are generally sincere. Hopefully, yeah. those first two are kind of the positive cases, the things that the skeptic might bring to answer, like why don't you believe? Um, the next ones that we're going to talk about are on the other way. So, uh, if you use that Socratic method and ask, well, why do you believe? Why are you convinced? They, Here some they things may come up with that. You might hear. <laughs> they might yeah. say, um, m- now most Christians aren't going to put it this way, uh, but it's called Pascal's Wager. And that's because uh, Blaise Pascal came up with this grand wager a long time ago. And um, we can look it up to say what it exactly means. But the most most people aren't going to phrase it like this. They're going to say, well, what if what if you're wrong? Like, yeah, what if you're wrong? Exactly. And then, right. you know. That's a big question for some people. So the way that Pascal formulated it was either God exists or he doesn't. And if you believe in God and he doesn't exist and you die, nothing happens. You've lost nothing. But if you believe in God and he exists and you die, you get infinite rewards. And on the other side, if you don't believe and he exists, you go to hell forever. But if you don't believe and he doesn't exist, you get nothing. So basically you have nothing to gain and everything to lose by not believing in God. So the rational thing to do is believe in God. It makes sense when you don't think about it. <laughs> right. Uh, so, and like Jared said, they're not, they're probably not going to phrase it the way Pascal did, but that's what the thrust yeah. of the argument is. Um, it makes several assumptions. The first is that there's no cost for believing. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. I enjoy my Sundays off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I like having a hundred percent of my money. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, those are two small yeah, things, so, but I mean that's a cost. Yeah. Like, anytime you spend devoted to this God that doesn't exist, that's a cost. Now, um, wait. There's one more though. What if you're wrong about which God you pick? Right. Uh, and for this, I think that the best formulation of that was by the 20th century philosopher Homer Simpson. Mm, great. Homer's classic. Said, right. But Marge, what if we pick the wrong religion? <laughs> and every time we go to church, we're just making God matter and matter. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you could literally turn Pascal's wager right back around on the person asking mm-hmm. you that question. And it really shows you the flaw in Pascal's wager. Yeah. 
So what if you pick, what if you're wrong? What if you pick the wrong God? Yeah. What if, you know, it's the Hindu gods that are real? Or what if it's, you know, Thor? Or what if it's some God that we don't even know about? And he would rather you have an honest disbelief but if you pick the wrong one, that really pisses yeah. him off. Like maybe you know. the atheist God is the best God. Yeah. Like the God like, that wants atheists. Yeah. Wow. May, maybe he designed the universe to look like there's no God and anyone who gets that wrong, it's like, bro. <laughs> so yeah, basically it's just, it, it sounds, it makes sense if you already believe. Mm-hmm. So those, those are probably the best ones. The, the, the ones we've covered so far are probably the, like the, the highest brow ones. Uh, but the next one, yeah, this, this one, <laughs> not necessarily the most common ones though. <laughs> this one probably is the most common actually out of all the ones yeah. I've ever heard. Um, and from some fairly high, like people in religious circles, I'm not going to name any names, but look at the trees, man. What about babies, bro? You ever seen a baby's hand? What about the miracle of childbirth? I don't know. I was in the birthing room. It's pretty disgusting. <laughs> I almost passed out twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, this is just an appeal to wonder. Like, the universe is amazing, and you know it seems perfectly designed for us, and babies are awesome, so doesn't that mean there has to have been a God who put it all yeah. there for us? And this is like, this is like entry level apologetics because this gets expanded into ID, you know, apologetics, intelligent, intelligent, yeah, design. intelligent design. And so, or creation, cre- yeah, all that stuff. Whatever. But this is just like the boom entry level. And what's interesting about this one is like, it's really convincing to the person asking you that question. It's like, well, how can you right. do, how can you look at a baby and not believe in God? Because to them, it's just like boom, so apparent. Right. So it's a little harder to unpack this one in a way that's I don't want to say kind, but not condescending. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it is an emotion. It's at its foundation an emotional mm-hmm. argument. It's an appeal to emotion. Um, and so you can recognize that as an atheist, I feel wonder looking at the universe or holding my child's hand or everything. If we're going to if we're gonna figure something out, if we're gonna try to look at what caused something we're seeing, you don't start by assuming it was like a mysterious race of aliens or a shadow government. You start with the simplest stuff yeah. and then work from there, you know? And so if you can have an explanation for why we feel the way we do about babies or why trees exist that doesn't require a deity, it doesn't make them any less amazing. If anything, I think it's even more amazing, personally. Yeah. One of the things that I like to do with this is actually turn it back around on the person who's asking me this question. And I, I'll say something like, I agree with you. Trees are amazing. I love green. Green's one of my favorite colors. It's amazing. But if you have a Christian who says, look at the trees, and you have a Muslim who says, look at the trees, and you have a Hindu who says, look at the trees, how are we to tell which one of their gods is real based off of them looking at trees? Like, mm-hmm. can we come to a conclusion of whose God is real or not real based on that, that question? Yeah. Base, if, if a Hindu and a Muslim and a Buddhist and a Christian can all look at these things and all of them conclude that their God exists, they cannot all be right, right. but they could all be wrong. They very well could be. I like to turn it back around and ask a question. I, I might not go with a bunch of options, but you know the same thing. You could do that. The Socratic method, just ask the question back and 
see what you get. Yeah. If if a person from Saudi Arabia set, described uh, an, an oasis he came to one day and used that as evidence for Allah, would you find that convincing? Yeah. Probably not. Probably the answer is no. Which kind of leads us into the next one, which is miracles. Uh, and the power of prayer, which historically speaking, like has been the biggest selling point of Christianity specifically, uh, but religions in general yeah. are miracles. Anyone you talk to will probably have a story of a miracle, not necessarily one that they experienced, but you know their sisters, cousins, hairdressers, dog mm-hmm. uh, experienced. Uh, you, you can always go the route of asking for evidence, and probably the evidence won't be very good. Uh, probably it'll be as simple as someone they trusted told yeah. them. Um, and you know, you don't want to call that person a liar. Right. This is a, this is another case where asking the question, be like, all right. So if, if a Christian prays and gets a prayer answered or a Christian experiences a miracle and uh, a Muslim experiences a miracle of praise and gets their prayer answered, how do we know which one was God doing it? There are, are examples of miracles um, and prayers being answered in every single religious tradition. Mm-hmm all of them have some example of it. And so if you can use the same piece of evidence for all of these different conclusions, and it must not be a very good piece of evidence. Now the person I've heard the response of, well, those other ones are Satan or like evil spirits. They sent to deceive you. But if you can try to coax them, use a Socratic method to kind of coax them out of their own worldview a little bit, like, okay, I understand that you think, that your miracles are a divine being and everyone else's are an evil being. But try to imagine you had been born in India. Don't you think that it's at least possible you might think that your experiences are the divine ones and that the Christian's experiences are the evil yeah. ones? And how would you know? How can you tell yeah. the difference? It's just trying to put them in different shoes, taking them out and doing it in a respectful way and asking that question. It could be difficult sometimes. This one's a hard one to actually respond to in a conversation because sometimes they're very personal. Um, and then sometimes you're basically calling them a liar. And it's hard to call somebody a liar to their face and be kind. Right. I'm typically when I, when someone brings me their miracle story, um, I assume that they believe that they saw what they believe they saw basically i assume they're being honest with Mm -hmm. me you know though if you if you if you put a gun to my head i'd have to admit that them lying is more likely than the laws of physics that they stopped working but that's not going to go over very well and it's not very kind you don't need to so why be a dick assume they're being honest and then but but what's the next thing everyone makes mistakes Mm -hmm. you know you just because you thought you saw a you know a miracle doesn't mean you did. And it's important to remember that none of these miracles, at least I feel like I would have heard of it if someone's leg spontaneously grew back or a dude was cut in half. And then, you know, in front of a whole hospital staff, he sewed himself back together. You know, those kind of miracles would be really, really hard for me to explain. Uh, (laughs) They they would be that, that that might do it for me. Uh, But it's never something like that. It's always, um, miracles that are just so happen to be something that could have happened by chance. Yeah. And the other thing you could do is just be like, Hey, that's really interesting. Uh, I think I need to look into that a little more before I can give you my opinion on it and just table it. Um, that's always a good thing to do in that scenario. So this last one here is one that, um, 
gets brought up quite a lot, but it's a, it's a tricky one. But most people were presented as like, but the Bible, like God's word to yeah. us. Like I know because the Bible tells me so, or something like that. Like in most of their arguments go back to the Bible. So I stand on the word of the Lord. I stand on the book of the word of God, the B I B L E. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, another way it's sometimes phrased is why should I believe man when, you know, man's records, why should I believe man's science when the person who was there told me what he saw? Right. You know, um, God was there at the beginning of time and he's been there the whole time. So why shouldn't I believe what he says? Now you could go the route there of, well, how do you know? Because other religions have their holy books and they think that they are the inerrant word of God. So which inerrant word of God should we be using? Yeah. Um, and isn't it convenient that you just so happen to have been born in the right one? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> well, this one, this one can be very circular too. Um, and, and you have to be careful with that because the Bible itself says that it is inerrant. We'll use that word or perfect. So like uh, second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Yeah. And so this one is a con- if somebody went to Sunday school a lot and knows their Bible verses, like I was a speed demon in Bible verse trivia, like I could get there. Anyways, um, they, they might know this verse and they'll use this verse to try to prove that everything in the Bible is, you know, God's word and inerrant. So, but it gets back to what you were saying, like, how can we tell? How do we know? Yeah. And if the Bible is the method by which this omni, omnipotent, omniscient God chose to spoke with us, considering it was written by a perfect being, supposedly, uh, sure seems to cause a lot of confusion. Yeah. Uh, because there are thousands of Christian denominations, and each one is sure that they have the right interpretation. A lot of them are created because they thought they had the right interpretation and the other guy right. didn't. <laughs> right. Uh, as Matt Dillahunty is fond of saying, if you want to hear what's wrong with the first Baptist church in Memphis, you go to the second Baptist church yeah. in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's interesting about the Bible is God's word. It's like, why did he choose the written word? Like, Yeah. So that's another really interesting point because... Uh, if I were an omnipotent being, and you knew right? everything that's going to happen in the future, I knew I knew everything. Eighty-five uh, inch Samsung QLED TVs. I mean, come on, right? But like, I could make a perfect word of God. Like I, I've heard some pastors say flippantly, "Well, do you want God to come down and correct every time a scribe makes an error?" Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, why not? He's God. He can totally do yeah. that. Like. It's okay. He he is omnipotent. Yeah. He can do anything. God's, and so, God's first attempt at writing or getting a human to write out his word was in a stone tablet that the dude dropped and broke and he had to make another one. It's like, <laughs> right. Like clearly humans are going to screw this up. And like, but there's so many other things God could do. He could have the, every Bible could be a set of blank pages. And when you open it up, it's the words you need to hear right yeah. then. Christians do that anyways, by the way. They just flip open a random verse. Boom. Oh my gosh, look at my fortune cookie saying for the the day. (laughs) Yeah, right. So God is perfectly capable of communicating directly to you. And it's not like it's against some kind of cosmic rule. He, according to the Bible, did it all the time. Yeah. It just so happens he stopped doing it as soon as we got cameras. Divine hiddenness. Um, Right. Or 
if God communicates with you and has a relationship with you, he could just feed the thoughts into your brain. Just like you just know that knowledge. Yeah. Like could come out of the womb with the whole Bible in your I mean, brain. A calf walk, like comes out of the womb and knows to get up and follow its mom everywhere and eat grass. Like <laughs> I could know the whole scripture. In my <laughs> but, Yeah. Um, anyways, don't, uh, first of all, don't say these things to the person you're talking to. Be- don't, yeah. <laughs> We're it's just us chickens here, so we're being a little yeah. sarcastic. Uh, but yeah, basically the the point is that um, the Bible is flawed. It is it, it appears as if it was made by humans, mm-hmm. and while you might say that God used these humans to communicate His word, and He could have done that, He didn't have to, and it would have made things a lot better. Better in terms of like us being able to follow God in the way he wanted us to, if he had communicated more clearly, mm-hmm. not, not just in the things that he said, but in the things he didn't say, why did it take us thousands of years to figure out not to own other human beings as property? Yeah. Why didn't Jesus say, Hey, you should probably wash your hands. Like that's a simple right. one. Hey, yeah. Boil your water before you drink it. I know it seems weird, but trust you're, me. You're not going to want to get dead dysentery. So. <laughs> Right. You know, there's just so many things that if it were in fact written by someone or inspired by someone who had infinite knowledge and cared about us, it sure seems like he left a lot of things mm-hmm. out. There's, there's a reason why people often have to bend backwards to fit the Bible into their current day morality. You know, Jesus appears to endorse slavery. Now, he doesn't say that slavery is good, but he says that the slaves should obey their master. Now, as a matter of biblical history, probably the real Jesus said that because he thought the world was going to end in the next 10 years, and so it didn't matter. Yeah, he's like, you know. You guys are going to get, this goes back to the heaven one. Like, you're going to get yours in heaven. Everything will be all right. Just Just do, just hold out. A couple couple more days, you'll be good. I'm going up to heaven. Right. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, But it would have been super easy for God to say, you know, instead of spending four commandments saying don't make idols and don't worship on Sunday but you could have said hey don't own people's property yeah. just don't and raping don't do yeah. that either so the slavery ones uh, is always a go-to for a lot of atheists but it's a go-to for a reason because it's a it's a very clear example and it's in Exodus 21 if you want to read those lines of scriptures we don't have to go over them here but it's very clear that these things are written in a way that's almost irrefutable um, that God was endorsing slavery and giving instructions that yeah. we would consider heinous today. Right. And I think, so we've kind of strayed a field, but this brings to what'll be our final point, for me at least. Even if I knew that the Christian God existed, I would believe. If I was given evidence, I would believe that God existed. But unless I was also given evidence that the Christian God is very different from what I understand him to be, I would not worship mm-hmm. him because he seems to be kind of a douche. Yeah. He endorses slavery. He murders people left and freaking right. Genocide. That's the Old Testament, bro. That's the Old Testament. He, he committed genocide several times. He told people to uh to to take the babies out of their hands and dash their heads on the rocks. And I know if if you're talking to someone who's sophisticated that was like war symbolism, whatever, but you know what? Screw that. If this is actually, like, that's fine if it's just the writings of some human being who had the morality and sensibility of a Bronze Age peasant. That's fine. But this isn't, that's not what it's supposed to be. This is supposed to be the perfect word of a holy God. 
I shouldn't have I shouldn't have to explain morality to yeah. him. And I don't care what you did 2000 years later if in 4000 BC you committed genocide that's it. Like you're done. <laughs> yeah, let's not bring up Hitler, but let's say Hitler comes back in in 1800 years, 1900 years. Anyways, Hitler comes back 2000 years from now and, and all of a sudden starts doing really good stuff. Are we going to be like, you know, turn the other cheek guys and you know what you should really love your neighbor and everything and i'm gonna be like hey aren't you hitler (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that's old testament um world war ii don't worry about that (laughs) that was the third right we're the fourth right man (laughs) yeah anyways um what it boils down to is just you can have these conversations with people have some talking points but don't get super sophisticated with them ask questions be polite be respectful you're you're not going to impress anyone by pulling out your twenty dollar words that you read in the Encyclopedia of Philosophy. You yeah. Know? The other thing you don't want to do is if you're a newfound atheist or somebody who's just starting to doubt, it may seem like everybody else wants to hear all this newfound knowledge that you had and wants to know that there is no God, and you want to go out there and tell everybody because guess what? You just hit the jackpot and you want to share the winning numbers with everybody. They don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah probably nobody there cares yeah. so probably. don't go in there and be like yo hey uh let's not pray for thanksgiving this year okay uh because guess yeah, what yeah no god <laughs> right if if your aunt wants to say grace over thanksgiving please do not jump up and say you refuse to pray because you're an atheist just don't be a dick just, just don't just do keep it. your just, eyes open look at everybody else yeah. just get some when good food i met my aunts when i'm at my aunt's house and they do the grace you know what i do i just stand there quietly and respectfully as i would for any other tradition i didn't particularly care for yeah bottom line just just be cool just be cool man so that's our show guys uh if you liked what we had to say check us out on facebook if you didn't like what we had to say do it anyway and you can tell us in vivid detail exactly why we're wrong be sure to link to every Christian apologist who's ever walked the face of the earth. If you are listening to us on Stitcher or on iTunes, whatever place you got this podcast, um, leave us a review, whatever your honest review is, because that helps other people find the podcast um, and so you can share this uh, joy with everyone. Have a good time with your family and your friends over the holidays. Have some good conversations. If you give them a reason... Make sure it's a reason to doubt. (laughs) (laughs) See what you did there. Yeah. Big big milestone, Jordan. We hit 1,000 downloads for the podcast just last week. So that doesn't seem like a lot, but that's a big milestone, I think. We should celebrate that. Yeah. So for, for whatever reason, some quantity of people thought that we were worth listening to a thousand times. Or they, like, clicked on it by accident and then... You like know, these guys are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was the rap band. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's like a rap. Band. Yeah, I saw that when I was looking. I was like, oh my gosh, wait. 